0: Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, it'd be good for you to look at it on your device you have or the scriptures actually in paper form because there's just different words and phrases I want you to notice in our study this morning. I want to begin by giving you six things you'll never hear a, teenage, a father of a teenager say. First, I notice all your friends have a hostile attitude. I like that. Well, now that you're 16, princess, I want you to start dating older guys. <laughs> Why do you want to get a job? I've got plenty of money for you to spend. Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to have a party for all your friends. Yeah. Here's my credit card and the keys to my car. Now you go out and go crazy. And, well, it looks like I'm lost. I'll have to, I'll have to stop and ask for directions, I guess. And one thing you'll never hear your heavenly father say is you have really blown it. We're done. Aren't you thankful that we worship a God like that today? We worship this God of grace and glory. And I'm thankful that we have this story to relish. It's probably the most familiar of of all stories told in the scriptures, I, I assume. It's made its way into theater and to movies and to novels and even personal lives like yours and mine. We love the storyline, the prodigal son. Let's look at it again because it never gets old to us. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself, I'm no longer to be call, I am no longer worthy to be called your son and make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's too many people in our congregation who have been made familiar with a broken home. Some of you grew up in a broken home, Some of you have walked with friends in a broken home. You've known the hardship of that. You've known the tears. Maybe some of you even today are struggling to try to keep your home together. It's a terrible place in which to be found, a terrible thing to experience. We know the hurts that come with it all all too well. And here's another one in the Scripture. It's one that's so real to us we can feel with it all. And this broken home begins with this Shocking request. And I don't think the, sh- the, the shock probably was the most severe of all, but there were probably little things along the way leading to this. So maybe the father wasn't too surprised at this request. The original hearers, however, would have been stunned by Jesus telling the story in the way that he did because this man has two sons. And when this father would die, the oldest son, according to the law, would get two-thirds of the fathers, uh, what the father left, the younger would get the third. Or if there were several siblings, they would share the third because there was great responsibility with the older older son uh, taking two-thirds of the inheritance. I've been at, with families at funerals before, many of them, and a couple of times I've been very, found myself very awkward and feeling uh, a bit embarrassed for the family because before the lid was closed on the casket, they started arguing about the will. But here... We have a son saying, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In so many words, he was saying, I I wish you were dead. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. He didn't want the responsibility that came with inheriting. Because in that day, if you had the inheritance... You lived in a village or a small town and there were extended family around and so you were responsible for, for some legal matters or for making sure the family was taken care of. You were, the, kind of the, you were sort of the patriarch of the family. Your dad was when he died and he's, leave, he's left you the responsibility. But his son wanted nothing to do with this. Everything about this father's name and his value and his place was about Land. That's that In that time and place, the land was serious. It was seri- serious to be an owner of property. That's how you have made your identity. That's who you were. It teaches us, again, how very heinous sin really is. It's not just breaking laws. Because here, the son really hasn't broken any laws, but he's broken his father's heart. And that's why we hate it when we realize we have sinned against God. Why we live our lives as if we have no need of him, we break his heart because he has a this longing for us. But just as shocking as the request was, so was the response of the father. Because a traditional Middle Eastern father would be expected to throw this son out of the house because of his because of his request to abuse him with words and probably even with some strikes as well. But not here. The the text just says there. You see it. So he divided his property between them. Now the word property is not really in the text. The Greek word there is bios, from where we get our word biology. It means life. He divided his life between them. His identity, his land, his position, his his position in the in the village among his family. Now, either he had to sell one-third of the property and then give it, or the boy had to be given the property and then him to figure out how to unleash it. If it was up to him, he probably got the, 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 the worst price. He would because he was so anxious to leave, leave town and get on his own. Now, for most of us, we would be angry. We'd be retaliating. We'd be rejecting him. We would... We would be projecting their lives in the future, what was going to happen, may even wish evil to come on them to treat us that way. But this is not how this prodigal son lives at all. This is a prodigal. He is wasteful in an extravagant way, and his rebellion is, is striking. He squanders what he takes, as we would expect, it, expect him to do when he demanded his money and treated his father in such a way. And he spent in all kinds of wild living. He scattered, that's another meaning of that word there, and in moral pleasures, wild living. And then it says, when he had spent everything. Now we know what it's like at the end of a day, end of a week, when you feel drained when you feel like you have any resources left to do anything, and you say, I'm spent. Well, that's where this, this young man was. He was spent. He had, he had refused the guidance of a parent. He has walked away from this. He had walked away from the stability of home and wisdom that he had been given to spend it this way. He got to the place where he had nothing left, or it seemed he had nothing left. The last thing, though, he wanted to do is go home, literal home, the home of his roots and where he'd been trained and shaped, and certainly not home to the one who created him, God himself. And so rather than be broken, his pride and his stubbornness kept him away, and so he found somebody to hire him, the text says, a hired man. But that's not really the meaning of the word there. The the meaning of that word hired is he found someone to cling to. That's the word. It's the word out of which the Greeks had a word for glue. I remember going to Ghana, West Africa, for the first time, leaving the terminal. There's this big fence. And on the other side were all these people staring through the chain link, watching for tourists to come through. So as soon as you go leave that area beyond the fence, they grab your suitcases. They cling to you like leeches because they want a little bit of money. That's how I picture this young man. He's desperate looking for someone to cling to, and he found someone. But things go from bad to worse because a famine comes to the land, and now he really knows what hunger is. And what he did is he clung to this man, who knows, but he, he began to want to eat what the pigs were eating. Now we're not thinking of nice, is there a nice sty? I doubt it. But we're not thinking of pigs in a fenced area. In that time, in that place, pigs were more likely to run wild. They were like garbage collectors. And this boy was watching them, wanting to eat what they were eating. This is the hard part about being in the West being in America like ours, when we have so much around us, you can be in a famine in your life and you don't even know it. You can be spending all and you don't recognize it because we have money to buy things. We have places to go. This boy thought there was a geographical cure to his life if he just planted himself somewhere else then his life would be better. You can be sitting in church and be in a famine and not know you are starving yourself to death. And so, he starts to wake up. That's the repentance in our story. And what? that's what we have here. It's the beginning of repentance. Repentance means change. I've got to turn my life. goes, this isn't going so well. And that's why it's difficult for people in our age and time to come to repentance. Because we have so much. And therefore, it's hard to recognize our need to get home to the Father. But notice the elements of, of repentance. On One part of it is internal repentance. It says he came to his senses. That's what basically repentance is. I'm, I'm becoming aware. I am more clear now of my problem. I'm more clear now of my self-centeredness. I'm becoming more aware that I have sinned against my creator. It's coming to my senses that That if I keep living like this, someday I will have to give an account from my life and I am not ready to do that. Another part of repentance is very vertical because it starts with understanding that we sin against God. Our sin first is against God. You you may have sinned in lots of different ways against people, but this boy said, first of all, I've sinned against heaven. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, and uh, murdering her husband, Uriah said, you, it's against you and you only have I sinned, God. And he didn't mean he hadn't offended the family. He just meant primarily, God, you're the one that I have failed. That's always true when we're coming to repentance. You see, there is a kind of repentance that leads to death. It's the kind of repentance that's only for the hour and it's not lasting. It's not really life change. And many of us probably can give testimony to that. But there's a true repentance where it's from the heart and it's directed toward our heavenly Father above. That's the true repentance. And here he, 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 he realizes, recognizes what he is, how he's offended God. And then repentance is horizontal. He said, I've sinned, against, I've sinned against heaven and against you, Father. He says, when I get up and go back home, that's what I'm going to say. Don't ever think that sin only affects you. It's always got fingers to it. It always damages relationships. It always robs us of spirit. It always robs us of joy and perfect peace. It always does. This boy's coming to his senses, and he's not going to make any excuses. He's not going to go home and say, Dad, I shouldn't have, but you've never shared a bedroom with my brother. Dad, I know I shouldn't have done it, but all the guys my age are doing this. There's no blame shifting. There's no attempt to try to somehow soften the 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 the. The terrible nature of his offense toward his father. You see, God is always pursuing people. Always. You and me, both of us. He's calling us to come higher all the time. And some of you today, many in our church today, are longing for children to come home. They're longing for kids to stop rebelling. They're longing for parents to just love them. And, and know Christ in the way that they're knowing them as young people. There are all kinds of, of grandparents that wish there, there was not a divide between them and their grandchildren. There's all kinds of marriages that are barely hanging on, and they're waiting for the other one to just come alive again. Now, I hope it doesn't describe anybody here, but my guess is there's some that describes here today. The good news is, you know, we could return how difficult it must have been for him to return because coming home would have meant facing something called kazaza among the hebrew people there was this kazaza that when when a when a boy left home and he wasted his money among the gentiles when he came home they would break a jar at his feet and cry this son is cut off from his people not welcome now, in rabbinical teaching, the rabbis taught that he could come home as long as he was willing to pay restitution. So that's what this boy does, hoping that if he survives the kazaza, or maybe if it doesn't happen, he starts plotting a way he can pay back his dad. He said, well, there's no way I can be a, I can be a son anymore, but, but maybe, maybe he'll make me like a hired servant. Now, that's different from a slave. A slave would live in, on the house grounds. A hired servant could live in the village and learn a craft and start, and then he could start paying, paying his dad back. Somehow, this young man missed the true nature of his father. Because that's who we meet then in this story that reaches to the depths of our hearts, the prodigal father. The prodigal, the word prodigal means extravagant. So we have a son who's extravagant in his waste, and we have a father who's extravagant in his grace, and his mercy, in his love. The son was just hoping for a master-slave relationship, but he gets so much more. He gets to be restored. Reconciliation is the furthest thing from his mind. He thought this, this wouldn't be so bad just to be, be in, the, in the town. At least he wouldn't have to be close to his brother, maybe. Maybe the townspeople would welcome him back eventually after he earned his way could get a job. Friends, you ever spent time in your life on your front porch, ready to condemn and to bash, to naysay people? You ever had a son or daughter return and you feel like hitting them in the face? You ever been to a church like that? You ever been to a church where people are tapping their foot on the front porch? They love to condemn. They love to judge. I hope people don't see a plainfoot Christian like that. But sometimes I fear. Sometimes I wonder. Because I know me. And I've been that guy on the front porch sometimes, tapping my foot. But look at this father. First he saw him. He was looking. And we get the idea here. He's always looking. It's not that he's not working the estate. He's not doing things. But he never never takes his eye off the road. Our God is always at work in the world. But he's always looking. And, And when he sees him at a distance. It's not... Ah, see if he's going to grovel enough. Ah, I guess he wants money. hmm? Well, we'll just see how changed he really is. That's often the human heart, isn't it? There's no waiting to see. There's no interrogation. There's no condemnation. He saw him. He felt for him. He was moved by compassion with him. That word compassion means innards. The Hebrews saw the bowels as as the centerpiece of emotion. So I'm always saying to Diana, Diana, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> now, we don't say that. We see the heart as the center of emotion. Some places in the world, the neck is. And you'll say, I love you with all my neck. I haven't tried that one on it yet. I might try that one sometime. You know? But we do understand, don't we? Because when we're going through stress or difficulties, where do we feel it? Right in our digestive system, don't we? Changes. So we understand how moved, um, even in the Hebrew language, you know, if, if, if somebody's wounding somebody, and it translated perfectly, it says, You're cutting up my intestines. And then he, he ran to him. The father ran. He broke all the rules of convention by running toward this son. And that day, a, a, a man over 25 years of age did not run. It was, it was not right for a man to run. But this word run, it's not really run. You know what the word is? It's race. The father raced to him. To do that, he would have picked up his garments, exposing his legs, which was a shameful thing to do in a, in a, in a Hebrew man's life. And then he kissed him. The verb tenses. he kissed him over and over again, a robust expression of his compassion and his joy in receiving his son. This son that must have been so dreading the fearful approach of his father has this embrace. You ever lost a kid? We lost Allison at a lake one time. Panic-stricken. It seemed like hours. I think it was about 10 minutes. That's an eternity for a parent, right? Running up and down. Have you seen a little blonde headed girl? Have you seen a little blonde headed girl? And finally, we see two little feet under a bush. <laughs> Did you hear us calling you? <laughs> Do you think I spanked her? Not on your life. I squeezed the life out of her. Now this boy, this young man, he begins to understand and know his father in a way he's never known him before. And I don't know if the father interrupted what the son was about to say, or if the son finally came to his senses realizing for me to offer to pay my dad back is rather blasphemous. Anybody here trying to buy your way into heaven? Anybody here trying to work hard to get God to love you better, to love you more? My friends, he will never love you any more than he does right now. Whether you're in Christ or not, you're walking with him or not, I want you to know the intensity of the Father's love for you. How dare this young man think he could pay his father back? And how dare any of us think that somehow... We can buy our way of salvation. And then there's this great rejoicing. There's, there's, no, there's no word about go get showered and shaved. Just bring the best robe. It must have been the father's own robe, don't you think? Bring a ring. It would have been a signet ring probably that gives him authority to, to make deals, to sign contracts, just like it's done today. Put shoes on his feet. Slaves went barefoot. Sons Wore shoes. He is restored to full sonship. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Prime beef. Let's do it. That was a delicacy in that day. And to, to have the best? This was the father's public statement about the depth of his joy. Actually, it was a resurrection. This boy was dead, and now he's alive. What a What a father. And what a God we worship today. It's our story, isn't it? Isn't it your story? Tony Campolo tells about being in Honolulu, speaking at a conference. And he can't sleep, so it's 3.30 in the morning. He goes to a local crummy little donut shop, orders black coffee and a donut. And while he's sitting there, it's about eight or nine prostitutes come in smoking and swearing and he feels a little uncomfortable and so he's going to leave and then he hears one at the counter say to her friend next to her, hey, tomorrow's my birthday I'm going to be 39 and this uh, this gal responded well what do you want me to do about it, give you a party and the first one said well you don't have to be so nasty about it I'm just saying it's my birthday I've never had a birthday party, don't expect one now and Tony overheard that, and he got to thinking. So he waited for a while, and all of them left. And he went to meet the donut man named Harry. And he said, hey, do those ladies come in every night? He said, yep, every night they're here, about this time. So Tony said, I got an idea. How about having a birthday party for that one on the end? What was her name? Oh, that's Agnes. She's pretty nice. She's always doing nice stuff for people. Nobody ever does anything nice for her. Well, let's have a birthday party for her, Tony said. And Harry liked the idea. So did his wife that was back in the back making the donuts. So the next night, 2.30 in the morning, Tony comes in with crepe paper and other decorations, cardboard saying, happy birthday, Agnes. The word is spread. And so about, by about 3.15, there were wall-to-wall hookers in that donut shop. <laughs> and Agnes came with her friend. At 3.30. And she walked in. Happy birthday, Agnes! She was stunned. Weak-kneed, wobbly. And then she started sobbing. And she stared at that birthday cake with the candles burning. Harry said, blow out your candles, Agnes! We're going to cut the cake! She blew out her candles and she was just fixated on that cake. And she said, do you mind if I just can I just take the cake home? Do we have to cut it? And Harry said, well, it's okay with me. So she just picks up that cake, and she, she leaves carrying it like it's a holy grail. Door closes. Everybody felt a little awkward. Tony got up on the chair. He said, let's pray for Agnes. So he prayed for her life and her health and her salvation. And when they got done, Harry said to Tony, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. He said, what church do you go to? And Tony said, I go to a church that has birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. He, Harry said, oh, there ain't no church like that. I'd go to a church like that. There's no, there's no church like that. Friends, I want us to be a church like that. I want us to be front porch people front porch at work, front porch in our neighborhoods, front porch in the marketplace, front porch people with our families, always looking, always praying, always anticipating, even the most unlikely ones that would care about the name of Jesus. Would you join me in helping us be a church like that? I think we've got a long way to go yet. But you know, if we can decide to do this, how we can impact the kingdom of God? Because you know why you were a far way off, why I was a long way off. You know, I got baptized into Jesus when I was, you know, uh, 10 years old. I was a senior. I was going to some parties I shouldn't be going to. I didn't necessarily partake of it all. But there was all kinds of stuff around me. It was just enough. I could be on the edge, not be too in, you know, kind of be with the cool people and go to church, all that when. You know, I was a a long way off and didn't know it. But praise God, he got a hold of me and he, he helped me get it and understand his love and grace. I wish I could tell you that's the only time in my life. Other times he had to. He had to rein me in sometimes too when I started building on the flesh and living by the flesh. No one will love you like Heavenly Father. Anybody here running? Anybody here today hiding? Anybody here think you're all in? But you're still playing it safe. How can we reject a father like this? He is ready to embrace you and welcome you home.